You can grab your Bibles and open up to the book of James, chapter 5, verse 7. We're going through the book of James, and the series is called Faith in the Fire. James is talking to us about many things, but overall, he wants us to know how to make it through a trial. So when life gets hard, how do we walk forward by faith? keeps bringing up several topics, and uh, today one of the topics that comes up is time, particularly the future. What will the future hold, and how does the future inform uh, our time in a trial? Uh, I saw an awesome movie this weekend. It was called Star Trek Beyond. (laughs) How many of you have gone out already to see Star Trek Beyond? Okay then, we've got a lot of work to do so disappointed. I just, you planning on going to see it this week, I hope? Okay. Anyone who went to see Star Trek Beyond, you get to go to the head of the cookie line today in the gym. That would be an incentive for you to go see it before next week. Well, Star Trek Beyond is an amazing movie, but one of the things that they like to do in these sci-fi movies is mess with the timeline. People from the future coming back, people from from the present going to the future, and the whole movie is set in the future. So it's really hard to follow. Uh, but, but in a plot twist in the new Star Trek movies, young Spock got to meet old Spock because old Spock got caught in some time thing, right? So you've got Leonard Nimoy meeting the news. We've got a picture here of Spock meeting Spock. But just imagine that for a moment. If you could meet future you, future you has a whole lot of information that you might want to know about. Am I right? But of course, being wise, future Spock wouldn't tell young Spock very much because he didn't want to interfere, okay? But in this last movie, uh, young Spock is wondering whether he should leave Starfleet and go back because his home planet got destroyed in the previous movie. Do I go back and help rebuild it or do I stay in Starfleet? And it's this big decision he has to make, right? What should my future actually hold? And then at one point in the movie, he opens up old Spock's memory box, and he sees a picture of the Star Trek crew as you and I know it, you know, with the old Kirk, the old Spock, and they're old. And so here he is looking into a future where he has served in Starfleet for all these years, and based on that picture of his future, he makes up his mind that he's going to stick it out with the crew through the pain, through the uncertainty, and he's going to continue to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, that's cool because um, the Bible today gives us a picture of the future, holds it up for you to see, and based on what you see in your future, you should make up your mind to keep walking forward, to stay on the mission, to stick with the crew, regardless of how hard it is. We'll talk about that today. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, thank you that you give us these glimpses of our future. You tell us what the future holds based on what you see. We can live in line with that. Help us, Lord, as we endure trials of many kinds, various sorts. Help us to know that you already hold the future. You're sovereign over it. Based on that, we don't have to be afraid. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the actual title of the sermon today is, wait for it, that's actually it, it's called wait for it. I did that intentionally because usually when you hear, wait for it, you're like, what? You see those videos online where you're watching like something and then it says, wait for it, and you're like, what? What's going to happen? 
What the Bible talks about the future we're waiting for, and in James chapter 5, verse 7, says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, till it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Write this down, number one. Are you great at waiting? Are you really good? I mean, skilled at it, gifted in a special way at waiting. Notice that James drastically changes his tone here. If you were here last week, you realized that he hollered at the rich. I mean, he was, was one of the most scorching rebukes in all of Scripture last He was, I mean, red-faced. And now he changes his tone. Be patient, therefore, brothers. He's talking to brothers in Christ. He's giving them encouragement. He's still cautioning us, but he's basically encouraging. Be patient. Wait. And he's telling us that time is a test. Uh, there are six different things that James keeps coming back to Things that will try your faith, time is one of them. Be patient. God makes you wait, and it's a test. And will you pass that test, or will you fail that test? Waiting is one of the hardest tests God can actually give you. Many have failed the test in the Bible. The Israelites, they left Egypt, went through the Red Sea, got to Sinai, and then God said, wait here. And Moses went up for 40 days, and what happened? They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They walked through walls of water. But the wait here test, down they went. They built two golden calves, and they started worshiping the cat. Moses came down through the commandments. And it's bad, because they couldn't wait. Are you great at waiting? Patience isn't necessarily a chart-topping virtue. Today, am I right? I don't think I've ever heard a single woman say what she wants most in a man is a guy who's great at waiting. You know, I mean, waiting in lines, waiting in the drive-thru. I'm looking for a man who knows how to wait. We don't really highly value patience in another person, right? We don't really compliment each other on that. Oh, I'm so blessed by your patience, how you just do nothing while you're waiting for something. You know, that's... It's not like something that we really admire in other people. In fact, we're more often than not like pick up the pace, right? You get behind somebody on the freeway who's really good at waiting and you're like, come on already. Patient people, get on my nerves. So it's a virtue though. Strangely, somehow in God's economy, patience greatly accelerates your spiritual growth. Isn't that something? Because if you can learn patience, then you learn more during every single trial that comes later. That's why patience is a virtue, because God can then teach you more through every single trial that comes after you learn patience. Patience accelerates your spiritual growth. What does God make us wait for? Almost everything. He isn't about instant gratification. You have to wait for the job, wait for the spouse, wait for the kids, wait for retirement, wait to resolve a conflict, wait to recover from sickness. 
And we grow impatient when God makes us wait longer than we think he should be making us wait. Time is a test. Test your faith. A basic formula of how you learn patience is patience, math people, you can write this down, patience equals faith plus time. Faith that keeps going through time. And how long are we going to be waiting for things? I mean, guess what? We're going to be waiting for things until the last minute. Waiting is a lifelong spiritual reality. We will be waiting until the coming of the Lord for everything God has planned for us. Waiting will never stop. That's why we must embrace patience, because it reflects that we're okay with the reality that God hasn't said yes to everything yet. Now, James says here in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What does that mean, the coming of the Lord? He's referencing an end time event here. We have a basic end times overview slide that we're going to put up on the screen here. If you're not familiar with the end times big events, let me just give you a basic, uh, a basic overview here. The first is Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers, and that started what we are in now, the church age. The church age will eventually culminate in um, what most scholars today see as a literal seven-year tribulation period. Uh, Worst times in the history of all humanity, uh, seven-year tribulation. Christ will return um, in power and full glory uh, to usher in the millennial kingdom um, after the seven-year tribulation. Now, when does the church actually get taken up to be? We'll cover that in a second. But the point is, it's at the end of the seven-year tribulation that he returns in full glory, and there is an era-changing event where Christ actually comes back to this planet, reigns here for a thousand years. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, We do believe that there will be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. Um, And then uh, at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, um, people who are living in it decide they're not too happy about Christ reigning, and then they rise up. That's when the things you heard in Scripture like the sky rolling up like a scroll, earth and the heavens dissolving in fire, all of that happens at the final judgment after the millennial kingdom. Everyone who's ever lived is resurrected and brought into God's presence, and there is the final judgment, then there's the eternal state, heaven and hell forever. If that's the first time you heard it, that might be a little overwhelming. The bottom line is Christ is coming back, he will rule and reign, people won't like it, God will then say, it's done then he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll be able to live with him forever. Now, when James says here, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord, it makes people wonder, well, what exactly is he referring to? Well, he's referring to when Christ returns for his church. Uh, We would call that the rapture. Jesus coming for his church would be the rapture where we are taken up to be with him. There are three basic views on the rapture. You can jot these down. Um, Some believe in a pre-trib rapture, which means Jesus raptures the church before the Great Tribulation. It almost like kicks off the Great Tribulation. Jesus takes his church up. So how many of you have ever read the the Left Behind series? Uh, Yeah, all right. That's one theory of what will happen. Church is taken up. All hell breaks loose on earth. Seven-year tribulation, right? Uh, That's actually a newer view, but it's very popular right now that the church will be taken up at the beginning of the tribulation. Some of our elders do hold that view. There's also the mid-trib rapture. 
It's also called the pre-wrath rapture. Some people believe Jesus raptures the church during the tribulation. So like at the halfway through or maybe, you know, two-thirds of the way through. Um, And there are some pastors in the Harvest Fellowship who believe that. In fact, James McDonald believes in the pre-wrath view, that the church will be raptured up at some point during the tribulation. And then there's the post-trib view, which is Jesus raptures the church near the very end of the seven-year tribulation, and then the church returns with him in glory um, to reign. And there are um, some of our elders who believe that. So if you want to know the right answer, flip a coin, because I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you which one you have to believe. And our elders aren't going to be like, this is the official position of Harvest Bible Chapel Palace. And if you don't believe it, you're not saved. Right? Some churches get all polarizing and militant and obsessed with one view of the end times. Let me just exhort you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have no idea how it's going to happen. All right. So the more obsessed and worked up you get over your theory... The more humiliated you're going to be when you find out how it's really going down, right? So be humble, be gracious, understand that people can disagree with you and still be saved. In fact, I hope that they have a neighboring house with you in heaven so that you can get along forever, all right? Some people get way too worked up about this stuff. Um, I would just challenge you to get excited that he's returning soon. Are you even excited? Some people are so mad. Yes, they're so mad that people don't agree with them. They're not even happy. Get excited that he's returning soon and get ready because when he gets back, you will stand before him in judgment. Hey, are you great at waiting? Because we'll be waiting until Christ comes back for us. Are you great at it? God wants us to get good at it. Uh, James then gives us a picture here. He's such a great communicator. Uh, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Write this down, number two. Wait like a farmer. How should I wait? Wait like a farmer. I like this image of a farmer because it implies preparation. We're not, sometimes when the the image of a farmer is used in the Bible, it it applauds his hard work, right? Uh, But not so here. We're supposed to wait like him, but the farmer wouldn't really be waiting unless he had worked his tail off to make sure the fields are actually ready. So it's assuming you have prepared yourself for the coming of the Lord. Then you can be eagerly waiting for him. All right, but if the farmer's been sitting on his rocking chair all through the planting season, it's no good for him to be waiting for the rain because nothing's coming but starvation. So I like that it implies you have to have worked hard to get ready. There's preparation, work, work, work. Then you wait. No work, no fruit. No wait, no fruit. If he doesn't work, he's getting nothing. And if he doesn't wait, he's get, you know, I've been looking at this field for a whole month. I am out of here. No wait, no fruit. I like that image. Wait like a farmer. Be prepared, be patient. He's waiting for the rain. We have a picture here of a farmer waiting for rain. The farmer who needs water. So look at that. That's, according to the Bible, you. And God will make you wait. 
but he's a farmer. He needs water to live. How could God make him wait for, yep, that's the nature of waiting. Something good, something you need, something you want. Wait like the farmer. Here's the next picture. And what the farmer loves most is the farmer loves those clouds up in the sky coming. That's, that's exciting. How many of you were out in the storms last night? I was driving home from Elgin last night, and we were driving with the storm. So the rain was coming down so quickly, the windshield wiper on its fastest setting was not doing good enough. I almost rolled down my window and tried to help because I could only see two or three car lengths in front of me. People were slowing down, then they were pulling over, and uh, the wiper wasn't doing the job. The rain just kept coming and coming and coming. Most people are like, ah, stop it. The farmer is like, yes, because you need the rain to get the growth. Wait like a farmer. God wants you to wait. And notice it says here that the farmer has to wait for the early rains. Farmer has to wait for the late rains. Waiting is at the beginning and the end of your walk with Christ. God wants you to learn patience from the farmer. Why would God make me wait? I mean, what I need, what I want is something good, maybe even something he's promised. Why doesn't he do it now? Uh, Well, the long road teaches you what the short road can't. So if God says long road, it's because the long road is teaching you things the short road can't. Teaching me what? You learn about yourself on the long road. You learn about your God on the long road. You learn about this world and people on the long road. And the lessons learned there can't be learned overnight. So when God says long road, don't resent it. Jot this down, wait like a farmer, because if you don't wait, you won't mature. If you resent the wait, if you're determined to get out from under all pressure, conflict, need, you want it now, then you're not going to grow. God will make you wait for provision. Uh, God will make you wait for resolution. God will make you wait for vindication. God will make you wait for opportunity. Answers to why. Healing. He'll make you wait for your capacity to increase so you can bear up under more. There's a lot you'll be waiting for. What is it right now in your life that God is making you wait for? Could you write down one or two or three things? Lauren and I uh, planted this church in 2009. We worked with a whole team from January 09 all the way through September 13th when we launched. Before that, in 08, we went to the training center in Elgin. Uh, They they trained me there to uh, get ready to launch out this church. We owned a home in Winfield, which is in the western suburbs where I was a youth pastor. So when we surrendered our lives to go wherever, uh, we said, all right, Lord, we got to sell this house. And it was 08. All of you homeowners know exactly what happened in 2008. (laughs) Worst time ever to sell a house. DuPage County hadn't had a down year ever. And so it was unprecedentedly bad. So we met with the realtor and by faith, we put a sign out front, listed the house, had our first open house, tied balloons to the mailbox. And nobody came. We sat on the couch looking out the window. 
doing? So we prayed about it, told God our disappointment with him, how confused we were that he was calling us to plant a church and no one was coming to buy our house. How can we plant a church when we're, you know, living 45, 50 minutes away, commuting down? So we started praying about it, talking about it, and uh, said, well, maybe we should rent it out because there are a lot of people looking to rent out the house. I really, really did not like that idea at first, but then we considered it, so we offered it up as a rental. And by March or April of, of uh, 2010, we had a renter. Um, and I was so afraid. Like, this person's not going to pay the rent. I'm going to have to evict her. And I had all these bad endings. I'm good at writing bad endings to God's stories. Maybe I'll skip it. If there was a market for writing bad ending stories, I could do that. And I'm writing all these bad endings. Well, it turns out that uh, this woman and her uh, two sons moved into our house. She's a widow. And uh, she, in the first year, gave me a check for the whole year. And I said, oh, that you could pay monthly, you know. She said, I don't like writing checks. All right. So then the next year rolled around. And I was like, you know, you could send me the rent each month. She's like, no, I just don't like writing checks. Here's the second year. One check. Bink. And, and now she just renewed for another year. So, she, so it's been seven years straight, and I've gotten seven checks. A whole year up front. That is a God thing. Widow, and I'm kind of thinking of that seven-year thing because that's a biblical number, and I'm wondering if maybe God's going to do something next year. I don't know, but we're still waiting. We still own two homes in a really bad housing market. Not my idea, right? So we're waiting. We're waiting. And our launch team, we pray, oh, help Pastor Ryan to sell his house. And God's like, wait. And he's still saying wait. I don't know in your life what it is where God's saying wait, but he will make you wait. What are you waiting for? Problem to go away? Person to change? Health issue to clear up? Finances to pick up? Conflict to die down? I don't know. Many in, in these churches James was writing to, they were oppressed by the rich. They were being taken to court. Their land was being stolen from them. They were waiting for justice. They were waiting for God to come down and set things right because they have been taken advantage of and they had no legal appeal. That's what they were waiting for. And they had to go to church with some of these people who were messing around with the courts. Wait like a farmer. Okay, when you feel like you're looking at cloudless skies, waiting for rain, wait like a farmer. Hey, when you feel like you're looking at a dry, lifeless field, nothing growing, just wait like the farmer. It's going to take time. You have to trust God. The rain is consistent. The crop will grow. God is faithful. He's steady. He's reliable. You can trust him. Are you great at waiting? We're probably not. We're going to be waiting until the end. So wait like a farmer because if you don't wait, you won't mature. Jot this down, number three. Establish your hearts. This comes from verse 8. He says here in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. This is a call to resolve. This is a call. This is an internal thing. The, the way that you, the place where you obey this command is right in here. Okay? Right in here. Establish your hearts. Settle it. Stand firm. Don't quit. 
Don't give up. Don't doubt. Establish your hearts. He's talking to the people who are going like this. I trust him. He can be trusted. He's not going to come through. He's never going to come through. All right, I trust him. He's talking to you. He's saying, nail your feet to the floor, all right, because he's faithful. Establish your hearts. Do you know that the delay can either grow your faith or your fear? Which one are you watering? Which one are you watering? Because the delay, you could be watering your faith. God said he's going to do it. He's going to come through. I remember when he's done it in the back, watering my faith. Or you can be like, he's not. It's going to be terrible. Everything's going to crash. Are you watering your fear with the delay? Or are you watering your faith? One of them's growing, getting bigger, monstrous. Is it your faith? Or is it your fear? So when I say be patient, when the Bible says be patient and wait, we have to be clear with what that means. You have to establish your heart. It's supposed to be a confidence, all right? There's a kind of waiting that God wants you to do. And um, let's talk about some ways that you shouldn't be waiting. These are bonus notes. What do we do instead of being patient? You can write this down sinfully solving. If you're sinfully solving, you're not waiting. All right. That's not what the Bible means. If you have a financial need and you plunge your family into thousands of dollars of debt, you aren't waiting. J.P. Morgan might be coming through for you, but if you make foolish choices in the crisis, don't call it waiting on the Lord. If during the pain and the sickness you turn to substance abuse and get hooked on the pills and the liquor keeps running, don't call it waiting because you're not waiting on the Lord. You're dulling the pain yourself. That's sinfully solving it. That's not waiting. You don't have an established heart. What else do we do instead of being patient? Ignorantly denying. Ignorantly denying. Well, other people have it worse than me. It's not that big of a deal. I don't see a problem. Neglect, neglect, denial, denial. Denying your marriage is that bad. Denying the financial problem is your fault. That's not waiting. But all things work together for the good of those who love God. Yeah, but you're denying that there's a problem. You're not letting God go to work. Ignorantly denying is not waiting. What else do we do instead of being patient? Sadly sulking moaning and wailing to everyone about how miserable you are and how mean they are and and how no one understands. And that's not waiting. That's not waiting. That's manipulating. That's not being joyful always. That's holding your worship hostage until God gives you what you want. That's refusing to love others until all of your needs are met. That's selfish. That's not establishing your heart. That's not waiting on the Lord. Uh, What else do we do? Doubtfully drifting. Doubtfully drifting. Slowly, silently, off we go into the world. No more church, no more small group. No more church, no more small group. All by myself. 
And, and why do we bail drift? Why do we slowly drift away? Well, we're punishing God. We are. You're not saying it, but we're punishing God. We're doubtfully drifting instead of being patient. What else? Selfishly bickering, sinfully solving, ignorantly denying, doubtfully drifting, selfishly bickering. Uh, and this is actually where James wants to camp for a bit here. He's warning against uh, the, the relational fallout of what happens when we're not waiting confidently. Selfishly bickering. I'm going to make that person pay after what they did to me. You don't. Selfishly bickering. Establish your hearts. If you're selfishly bickering, if you're running around and trying to right every relational wrong and be your own defense, you're not waiting on God. You're not waiting for His justice. You're taking matters into your own hands. That's the opposite of waiting. So establish your hearts. Are you great at waiting? You've got to wait like a farmer, then you'll mature. The reason why it's so hard to wait is because we start believing lies about God. Uh, listen, everything hard in your life, everything is meant to strengthen and enhance your relationship to Christ. When you believe that, you can embrace the trial. So ask yourself, how is, fill in the blank with your conflict trial, how is this problem, how is this person strengthening and enhancing your relationship to Christ? What a great prayer request. Father, Father, use this person, use this problem to strengthen and enhance my relationship to Christ. Much better than take him out. Break the teeth of the wicked. Oh, I mean, much healthier for your heart is use this to strengthen and enhance my relationship to my Savior. God will always answer that prayer. 100% answer rate. Not bad. Establish your hearts by believing the truth about God. Wait like a farmer. Are you great at waiting? Jot this down, number four. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. It says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Church fighting. I've heard churches fight. Have you ever been in a church that fought? I've been in a church that fought. There have been fights and conflicts in our church we've had to put out. Church fights. Don't grumble, brothers against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You would think that he would use this idea of the judge standing at the door. Imagine if we just heard a knocking over there right now. Knock, 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 knock. Who is it? The judge of the universe. <gasps> he could have used that as like encouragement that now all those bad people are doing those things to you are going to get it. And he does mean that, but he's primarily saying if the judge is standing at the door, what do you need to fix in here? Because he's coming in. He's at the door. What do we need to fix in here? The conflict with the rich out in the world that's spilled into the church. James is calling them to repair these relationships. Don't grumble. So he's showing us here how not to wait. How not to endure hardship through grumbling. You know, he really wants us to fear God's judgment on our mouth. Uh, we should have had words up here too. I forgot to ask for that one. But time makes it hard for us to control our words. And the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, 
creates conflict in the church. Okay? You add it all up together, and you get grumbling often. He's challenging us to not grumble. We do have to fear God's judgment on our mouths. He already said in chapter 3, verse 7, uh, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's your mouth. That's living right here. Restless evil, full of deadly poison like a snake. Biting people. Right here. So we're warned. Our mouth is going to bring us into judgment. We're going to get in trouble. So don't grumble. You have to realize how God feels about grumbling in the church. Remember the story of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam? In Numbers chapter 12, Aaron and Miriam got upset with Moses, so they started grumbling. Grumbling against Moses. Who does he think he is? He's not the only one grumbling. He's not the only one who's meant to lead. This people, other people should be leading too. Grumble, grumble. And God came down and said, three of you here now. And what he said to them was, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant? What a question. Why were you not afraid? Think about that before the word comes out of your mouth to slander a brother, grumble or complain. Why were you not afraid? What a question. Then God went back up. His presence was gone. You know the story? Miriam had leprosy. They're out of the community. How does God feel when we sin with our tongue in his church? Why are you not afraid? That's how he feels. We're warned here against grumbling. I can grumble, you can grumble, we can all grumble about things. But how does God feel about that? Poor were tempted to grumble against the rich. Leaders were tempted to grumble. God judges grumbling tongues in the church. This asks us, really, this challenges us, right? How will we handle disagreement? How will we handle disappointment in relationships in and out of the church? How will we handle being overlooked when we think we deserve something, not being thanked when we did? How will we handle that? We'll grumble, 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 grumble. Or will we fear the Lord? Because the judge is standing at the door. One more step and he's here. Wow. Don't grumble. How do you resolve conflict? Are you getting an A plus at conflict resolution in your walk with the Lord? Boy, conflict resolution is tough. I think it is one of the uh, easiest ways to gauge someone's spiritual maturity is how do they resolve conflict when they're wrong and when the other person's wrong. How do they resolve conflict? One of the best indicators of spiritual growth is how a person resolves conflict. Do you go directly to the person or behind their back? Do you get help? Hey, am I seeing this the right way? Or do you fly solo? Do you say everything that's on your mind and heart? Reduce the other person to ashes. Or are you more of a silent stalker type? I'm not going to talk to them again until the day I die. The day I die. How are you at conflict resolution? It's a skill. You grow over time. Be patient, especially when you're provoked. Jot this down. Talk like the judge is standing at the door. Let every word be measured by the reality that 
The judge is here. Wow, what a warning. What a warning. The judge is standing at the door. How am I talking right now? He's coming in any moment. What am I saying? What urgency we're supposed to apply to our word choice. Yet how encouraging is this? The judge is almost here and anybody who came against us, anybody who, was, who did wrong, they're going to get it. He's right there. He's about to come in. That's encouraging. We have to make sure that we're ready to meet him. Hey, that's actually so encouraging. When you notice that the judge is at the door, that gives you endurance to not quit. You don't have to right every wrong. You don't have to wear yourself out trying to fix every person who's a problem in your life. Hey, he's at the door and he's coming in. And when he comes back, paradise is going to be restored. It's going to be amazing. You don't have to figure out how to fix everything in this world. You just have to keep running the race. Don't give up. Keep going forward. Be patient. I think I've told you already that I'm, Pastor Mark and I are getting ready to run the Chicago Marathon. <gasps> and I regret it already because you, you have to train a lot. Okay, I didn't know how much you have to train. They've got all these plans and stuff, so I've been out doing my runs. It's hot out, in case you didn't, in case you didn't realize that. And I shared in the past already that I've been attacked by a dog, little dog. The little ones are meaner. The little dog, goose. Uh, and then I showed you the picture of the snake that came out on the trail when I was running. All right. And then uh, did I tell you the story about the bee yet? I don't think I told you that one. So last week I'm running and uh, I'm running past this little field and something flies into my mouth and hits the back of my throat. And I'm running. And I didn't know what it was. It was like bigger than a fly. So I was like, what is that? And instinctively, I just went, Pah. thankfully, I didn't go, Hoo. and I went, Pah. and it, this yellow jacket flew onto my shorts. I'm still running. Flew onto my shorts. And like, it was so confused. I mean, it like shook and like looked up at me and, and I'm like, ah, and then flew away. Neither of us will ever be the same. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who is more traumatized, but that thing hit the back of my throat. And I just stopped for a moment, and I was like, what? Did I get stung? What would I, like, what would I have done if I just got stung in the back of the throat? But I'm like five miles away from home. All right, so I have to keep running. <laughs> and then I'm on the lookout for a piece. And I have to buy one of those, like, insect nets now to put over my head. <laughs> but I'm running. Snake boots goose stick, like I got to just ward off all, you don't know, all right, I share that because life is like a long race, it feels like a long race, the Bible keeps saying it's the last lap, it, we're in the last lap, the end times, the finish line is right there, keep running, and I don't know what you're waiting for, I don't know what's making you feel like giving up, stopping, quitting. I don't know what it is. But God is saying to you today, don't quit. Be patient. He's coming. Don't lose heart. Don't retaliate. Don't bail. He's almost here. We're almost home. I want to close by reading 2 Peter 3, 10 to 14. It says this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. 
the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's pray.